Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sports fans, don't be sad that the NFL season is rapidly coming to a close because we still have the NBA, MLB, WNBA, and the XFL coming this spring. And Epson just hooked me up with this new Epic Vision Ultra LS800 laser projector, including their optional 120-inch silver flex screen. If you're out there looking for a new 75-inch or 85-inch TV, don't do that. You have no idea what you're missing. Imagine having an epic 120-inch mega screen in your home. It's like having four 60-inch TVs mounted on your wall. Introducing the new Epson Epic Vision Ultra LS800 projector. This new type of television experience uses Epson's amazing three-chip, three-LCD laser projection technology to produce an immersive, super bright 4K Pro UHD picture. And with a 120-inch picture, this is truly epic. You see all the action. Trust me, unless you're there live, this is the next best thing. Go big, go epic. Go to epson.com forward slash wake up to learn more about the Epic Vision Ultra LS800 laser projector. Again, that's epson.com forward slash wake up. And like Epson says, bring the sportsbook experience home. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. As always, I am your gracious host, Scott Connor, at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. You can tap into everything over at Destination Devi, the Discord, the voice chat, everything that goes along with it. Patreon.com slash all gas, and then sign up for the newsletter. All of the contributors over at Destination Devi contribute to the newsletter, delivered to your email inbox every Friday morning. It is allgas.beehive.com backslash subscribe. Enter your email and you get that weekly content from Dynasty to Redraft to DFS to prop betting. Everything else you can think of is usually discussed in there once a week. So check that out. And then finally, everything that I have going on over at Trades in 5 on YouTube. Check that out. Dynasty Trades in 5. We live stream once a week on Tuesdays. All your Dynasty questions, a lot of good discussions on there. Usually go for an hour and a half to two hours. And then also patreon.com slash dynasty and chill. That is my group over the Chillbillies. 
Uh, check that out if you're interested in more bonus content from me specifically. But for today's episode, uh, what we're going to talk about is what everyone out there wants to talk about. I took some questions, pulled them from the Destination Devi Discord and the Dynasty and Chill community, also known as the Chillbillies. Pulled some questions. Going to be a little bit of a shorter episode, and I know I say that. Um, we laughed the other day on America's Game. Eric and I said, ah, it'll be about 15 minutes talking about these free agents, and boom, it ended up being almost an hour before we actually got to the mock draft. Check out that episode. It was awesome. A two-and-a-half-hour episode. Uh, we did a mock draft. Really, really good for anybody that plays in a 14-team Superflex, anybody that plays in a two-tight-end premium league. Anyone that plays in a point-per-carry league, all of those were included in that mock draft, so check that out. America's Game, uh, it dropped on Saturday. Uh, marathon of an episode. And then last week, we talked about leverage trades. I appreciate everybody that reached out to me this week. Uh, got some tags on Twitter, hashtag leverage. Some trades that people made uh, trying to pull off the leverage moves between now and the NFL draft. Uh, check that out. I went for about an hour and a half last week. Uh, fit in everything into one episode. I had written down five leverage trades that I wanted to discuss. And of course, I'm very long-winded at times and it ended up being almost an hour and a half long episode. And I figured, you know what, this week, instead of coming up with a couple other leverage trades that I thought of after re-listening to that episode, I decided I'm going to go to the people. Pull some questions from the people. What does everyone want to talk about? A lot of people that follow me or have listened to my work or followed my work, they usually know where my brain is at. Like they know the type of questions that pique my interest, that make me go back and say, you know what, that's an interesting one. So I pulled some of those questions for today's episode, and that's what the show is going to be about. It's just going to be a Q&A episode. I'll answer the questions. It'll probably trigger some more thoughts from me throughout. And then also some follow-up questions that I'm sure we will talk about over uh, the next couple weeks. Uh, real quick, before we do get started, I did want to plug our USFFL Pipeline League. Uh, we will be starting the first Pipeline League. Everyone that knows about the USFFL League, we've done four of them thus far, and we're starting a new variation uh, called Pipeline, which essentially is a Devi League, but you are assigned a Pipeline school, and there's different parameters and rules behind it. Uh, it's not exactly as you might think, uh, but we are launching the first one. It will begin today. And tonight on the Destination Devi Discord feed, uh, you will get access to Ray and I's breakdown to the first pipeline blind bidding draft, where essentially we're bidding for our spots to draft our pipeline schools. We're going to do more of these drafts. We've already had a couple people that did not get in the first league express interest to get into a future league. So reach out to me if you're interested in a pipeline draft or a pipeline league. It's essentially a modified version of USFFL, everything that went along with that, but there is a pipeline component now to the Devi. So if you're interested in that, reach out to myself, reach out to Eric, reach out to Ray, reach out to somebody in the Discord that may be able to point you in the right direction. Uh, and we can talk to you about getting into one of the future leagues. Uh, I'll be real. It's been a grind to come together to get the rules for this first one. We've probably spent a good month or so hashing it out to think we have most of the scenarios covered because it is a little bit complex. Uh, but if you're up for that kind of thing, if you want to get into a league that is challenging, that makes you think, um, I'll shout out to Ray. Him and I have had a ton of conversations, both in the voice chat, both public and private, just in terms of how much we have both learned 
from these USFFL leagues and the auctions and now bringing the pipeline in, just how much our brains have developed in terms of thinking, understanding how to manipulate the auction, how to manipulate the dynasty player pool, the landscape. And I think there's a lot of content that can come out of that. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, auction drafts, Devi, kind of everything thrown into one with more variations to come as we continue to evolve them, uh, reach out to us if you're interested in getting in a future league. I have a running list of those that have reached out to me uh, and will approach you as soon as we have another one uh, coming up in the works. So with that, let's get to the questions. I'm going to start with just some random questions that I pulled uh, from the Dynasty and Chill Patreon. Uh, over in our group me chat, I asked if there are any specific questions uh, to take away for this show. I'll go ahead and throw them out there, and then we'll generate some discussion for me. And then obviously there may be some follow-up discussion. Uh, so the first question came from a member, Terrell. He said, Scott, with NFL backfields going mostly to running back by committee, are we undervaluing the top running backs that have proven to have the opportunity to be bell cows? So essentially what Terrell is asking is something that I have mentioned before, but I really haven't dove into this topic uh, a ton. But obviously last year we started tracking warp. We talk about warp all the time. You know, how do we predict warp? What does warp look like going forward? Um, I think a lot of people have chosen to use warp or wins over replacement player for purposes of roster construction. But it's not predictive, meaning you don't necessarily look at a player and you say, well, this guy had this amount of warp last year and say, "Okay, that means he should be valued here. It's always relative to the cost and it's always relative to the current dynasty market. I think that's the biggest thing that people don't talk about with warp is, sure, it's a singular thing. You can say, for instance, last season, Austin Eckler was at the very top in terms of warp at the running back position. But what does that really mean? It's like saying, okay, he scored the most fantasy points. But what does that mean? What was the distribution of those points? Especially if you're talking best ball, what was the distribution of the points? Also, what was the cost to get those points? So you start getting into this discussion where the cost matters, the market value matters. All of that goes into what you're actually getting back. It's not just the wins over replacement. It's not just the points per game. It's not just the distribution of the points. It's everything that you're trying to figure out when you're measuring the warp. Now, back to Terrell's question, with most backfields going to running back by committee, are we undervaluing the top running backs? And my initial answer is probably yes. And the reason being is something that I've talked about on prior shows that over the last couple years, and last year it was definitely a trend, and the year before even, we've talked about the the legendary, quote-unquote, Jonathan Taylor RB1 season in 2021, really not measuring up historically to the warp that you've seen from other players uh, at the very, very top of the running back landscape in a given season. You know, Jonathan Taylor's season didn't do that, yet he left that season being the RB1 and then the clear RB1 in Dynasty. And then you look and you say, well, the RB1 today relative to the landscape, isn't worth what it was three or four years ago. Not in a value perspective and not in a warp perspective. And then that continued in 2022. Now, the phenomenon that happened last year, and I've talked about this on some prior shows, is the middle started to rise a little bit. Meaning if you're just taking like points per game or even warp, it it started to concentrate more in the middle. Now, in this middle range, it really isn't difference making. 
if you just take, I'll shout out Dynasty Barry, just using his warp from last year. Uh, now, this doesn't necessarily account for reasons that players might miss games or miss snaps, but if you're just talking about like the total warp for the season, it really starts to level off right around like RB6. And then you go all the way down to where if you're stuck in that range where you're RB8, 10, 12, it's basically the same. And if you're playing best ball, it's even more volatile because where those points are coming from are even more important. You'd rather have a running back that has four games where they just absolutely blow up versus, well, they just have nine or 10 steady games. Not that you don't want that, but the point would be you probably want to have a certain distribution depending on the format. You know, certain combos might be more beneficial based on this format. But you started to see that rise a little bit. And I've mentioned this numerous times, especially right at the end of the season when I talked about the running back roster construction and the current running back landscape and how you're starting to see that median rise a little bit, meaning there are more running backs that are jumbled in that range. And that makes sense, right? You have more committees, which means you have more running backs that from a at least points per game perspective can end up in that 12 to 14 points per game range, even the 10 to 14 points per game range. Um, I know Adiko sent this to me when you're looking at replacement value for running backs, uh, and it was around like 11, 11.5 points per game. I believe it might have been 11.6. I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but it was somewhere in that range where you're going, that's not that hard to get to. And if you just use points per game numbers, which if you're in a lineup league, the benefit of that is points per game should be a little more predictive because you know when to start running backs more frequently than you do other positions. Like you might say, okay, this week, Chuba Hubbard, I know is going to get the start because the other running back in his backfield isn't playing. But in a lineup league, I probably have a better idea of where to play that player. Now, that doesn't mean that in a week where there is another running back there, he can't have a spike week. And it doesn't mean just because he has the start alone where you can project his touches to be more that he's going to score more, right? His points per game can still be volatile, but I have a better idea of when to play him. Best ball, obviously, it doesn't matter. You get credit for whatever he does. So that's more of kind of a true test of what is the warp going to be. If I could predict warp, best ball is perfect because I know all I have to do is just accumulate warp and just let it fall whatever weeks it falls with my head-to-head matchups. But to the question, does it make the elite running backs more valuable? The answer to that, in my opinion, is absolutely yes, right? You know there's more players that are in kind of the dead zone and that the top-end running backs at the very, very top, we're talking about 21, 22-plus points per game, is extremely rare. Here's the problem. The problem is, right now, we have a weird running back landscape where any player right now that has historically hit those numbers, uh, a.k.a. Alvin Kamara, Austin Eckler, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, those are the only ones that have done it that are currently in the league. The issue with all of those guys is they are all older running backs. They are all second contract running backs. So there's already a hesitancy to buy into those guys. But I think we all agree that if you can buy into those guys, all you're really caring about is give me one or two more shots in their career to hit those numbers. The reason I would go pay RB6 prices for Christian McCaffrey is not because I think he's going to play till he's 35. It's because I'm going, you know what? I am chasing inherently one of these high warp seasons, you know, a season where he gives me two wins above replacement. And I don't care if he only does it one more time. That is well worth what I probably have to pay, given that the market is probably fading running backs because, well, 
They're 27 years old and they're on a second contract. So right now you naturally have that availability to buy those types. Now you have to pay probably more than you're comfortable, but I don't think it's a bad bet at all. So Terrell, to answer your question, I do think it's a really, really good idea to chase one of those. My only drawback would be it's not necessarily something you can foresee happening. One of the reasons why people are hesitant to make that move is because think about it. Let's say you have to go give up a 24 first and a filler running back or a 24 first and a 23 second to go buy Christian McCaffrey. That's what the manager wants. The manager kind of understands about warp and positional advantage and says, you know what? This is what I need for Christian McCaffrey. You're hesitant to do it. You're probably also hesitant to do it in March. Because you go, man, the season doesn't start for another five and a half months. Do I really want to make this move now? Do I want to trade my only first that I have next year in March for a running back? If I could guarantee you, you would get that warp. And even if you would just get 14 games from Christian McCaffrey, even if he misses three games, I can live with that. As long as I get the above replacement production when I'm having him in my lineup, that's fine. But it just feels suboptimal to commit to that right now. And I think that's the biggest conundrum. I think everybody knows what you're asking is true. As we start to devalue running backs as a whole across the entire landscape from RB3 to RB10 to RB20 to RB40, as we start to just devalue the position in general and treat it more literally like a year-to-year proposition, I don't know how many times I've said this, even on the DD feed, running backs are becoming a year-to-year bet. 95% or more running backs, in my eyes, are what can you do for me in the next upcoming season? I'm not looking at them as investment pieces. I'm not looking at them as trade chips past this year. They are simply stocks where I can day trade throughout the season, teams that I need them, I'll covet them, teams that I need them, I expect I can go buy them, and then teams where I don't need them, I don't care about them. They're liquidated. I don't look at somebody like Rashad White last year and say, man, look what he could be in a year or two. Now, there's going to be a couple of those, but generally I'm willing just to make the bet that the position is a year-to-year proposition across the league, across 90 to 95% of running backs. Very few of them are safe. And we've seen that reflected in the contracts. Ray's talked about this and we've seen it already. What happens when the next wave of running backs, and we're already starting to see it with Jacobs, Miles Sanders, even Saquon Barkley, what happens when the next wave of running backs after those guys? Jonathan Taylor, Travis Etienne. Those guys are coming up for contracts. Taylor after next year, Etienne a year after, he'll be on his fifth year option, which at the point, who knows how much that's going to cost. Two years from now, it'll be Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker. Both those guys were not first round picks, so they'll be up for contracts after 2025. What does it mean? When those guys are not even getting decent second contracts, what does that mean for the running back landscape? It just essentially means that we're going to start looking at it just like the NFL is. If we have somebody... We're going to use them up. We're going to get them for production. But as soon as they hit that point where they become a market value asset, that's the difference between NFL teams and dynasty, right? NFL teams, their focus is generally more about cost and production. So how much is a player producing for me based on what I'm paying them? Whereas dynasty, we're using them as trade chips. We're using them as assets. You know, what is the market value? You know, the way we get production from a running back, we're not paying them a salary. 
So the way we get production from a running back is we get a certain amount of points, but then if we can use them for trade value, then boom, we're willing to liquidate them. So a long-winded answer, but yes, the elite running backs are much more valuable. I think there's a lot of merit, especially on teams that you construct the right way, where you've really put no money or no investment in running backs to go and try to get one of those hammers. It's a big bet. It's a big move. But if you have one of those teams that's just riding with a bunch of bodies and you want to make a big bet on going and trying to chase one of these high warp running back seasons, it's probably Barkley. It's probably McCaffrey. It's probably Eckler. Might be Jonathan Taylor. Might be Brees Hall. But there's a limited number of guys that fit this criteria. If you want to go make a big trade and that's what you want to chase, then do it. But just understand, you are chasing that. You are chasing the above replacement production. No longer are you chasing a running back. Man, I need to get even Bijan Robinson. I need to get that Bijan Robinson because I have the most valuable blue chip asset from a market standpoint. You don't. You already have it. It's right there right now. He's a late first round startup pick. He's already there. Really, the only place Bijan Robinson can go is down. The person drafting them in the first round of a startup or the person getting them at 101 in their rookie draft, they are not gaining a valuable asset that is going to appreciate. They are gaining an asset that they hope produces something of what we're talking about, the high warp production. And then if they can sneak a year out of that and Bijan maintains his value, then boom, you can sell next year for something different. You can sell for a package of assets that you might not be able to get now. And then all of a sudden, man, I look back and I go, wow, he gave me one year of two wins above replacement. And then I was able to sell him for the same value that the 101 is worth right now. That's a massive win. But that's really how we're looking at it. We're not looking at Bijan going, man, I'm investing in this asset that's going to be the cornerstone of my team for the next five years. That's just not realistic. That's not how the market's going to view running backs. And I don't see that changing going forward for exactly what Terrell asked. We see a lot more committees, a lot more teams that are designing their backfields around, you know what, we're going to give one guy 50% of the work, one guy 35% of the work, and then we're going to have a third running back that does a little bit of both. And you're just going to have to live with it, which means the days of all 300 plus touches for a bunch of guys in the league. That's done. The days for a running back getting 75% of the snaps, probably done. You're probably lucky if you have a guy that goes over 60. So that's the reality. That's how the future of the running back market is going to play out. I think that's going to also filter down to the lower levels of football as well. You're going to start seeing that trickle down to college. It already has. High school, even junior high, middle school. You're not going to see the same type of players playing running back anymore. Because it's that, and it's also the way they're being compensated at the highest, highest level. If you can help it, why would you market yourself as only a running back? Maybe you want to play a different position. Maybe you want to be a really, really good receiver. Maybe you want to make sure you can do a lot of other things so when you get to the NFL, you're not just viewed as, hey, that's just another guy. He's replaceable. We'll replace him with a fifth or sixth round draft pick this year, and we know we can pay that guy less than a million dollars, and we'll really save money over long term. Unfortunately, we don't pay running backs for what they've done in the past. So how are the players going to respond and defeat that notion? Uh, We'll see, but Terrell's point Yes, you still want to chase those high-end running back seasons because they're going to be worth even more relative to the rest of the position. Next question comes from Paul from the DNC Patreon. Paul asks, what are some trades you are willing to make now with 2024 picks, either your own or someone else's pick? And good question by Paul. I talked about this, uh, the episode that aired uh, during the week of the Senior Bowl. I talked about really starting to examine those picks 
from 2024 on teams where you've started to see what their roster looks like now that we have free agency behind us, now that we have the rookie draft. We have a lot of information we're going to use for the rookie draft already set in stone. It's just a matter of landing spot and draft capital. But I think generally we know kind of what the picks in this class are going for or what they're worth. So we're starting to focus on 2024 picks. Some are already getting ahead of it. Some are trying to acquire the 2024 picks aggressively. I will say this. Uh, shout out to JB, uh, Jordan Backus, who dropped his first episode uh, this week on the DD feed, talking about some analytics and wide receivers. He talked about wide receivers uh, and also hit on some quarterbacks. Like, this is the kind of class next year, which seems to be like the microcosm for what we're going to start seeing in rookie drafts going forward. And I think that is what's kind of driving the value of these 2024 picks. It's to the fact now that we're sitting at the late first, early second in this year's class and going, you know what? It's kind of underwhelming. It's a little flat. You're starting to see people say this class isn't all it cracked up to be. And I don't really think that's the case. I just think when it comes to players that are not difference makers, we're getting a lot smarter in terms of evaluating those. Instead of chasing players like before, I think a lot more dynasty players are understanding what it means if you hit on a wide receiver three in a draft. Great. You hit on something that's replaceable. It's nice to have, but it isn't really gaining you any leverage. It's not allowing you that much flexibility just because I have that 112 in this year's class. And I don't think that's going to change. I think the narrative around, oh, this future class coming up in two or three years is going to deliver more value than ever. We can sometimes look back and say, oh, yeah, the 2020 class was awesome. The 2021 class was awesome. The 2023 class was great. The 2022 class uh, was okay in time. We can always look back. You can always say, yeah, we missed out on that class. But rarely do we actually see it coming and we know exactly what it's going to be. So really, it's the same as what I said last year with these 2023 picks. The reason you wanted them last year was not because it was going to deliver 15 to 20 stud starters. You wanted them because the market thought that it potentially could do that. For a short period of time, that's what people expected. People expected these picks to be super, super valuable. And then when it didn't happen, it was almost like, well, this class wasn't worth it. When really it wasn't the case. There was a time where you could have used these picks to get a lot more than what you can get today. Now, you might have missed the window. That might have been in week four, week five of the season. And you said, nah, it's going to go up in price. I'm going to be able to hold on to these picks till the end of the year. They're going to be worth even more. Then you get to the end of the year. Then you get to the beginning of the draft process and they aren't. But it doesn't mean you were wrong. It just means you didn't sell at the right time. So to 2024, I think with 2024, the the high end picks from everyone I've talked to, from what I've read, from what I've seen, from what I've seen, how people value them in Devi, the high, high end picks, we're talking the top couple quarterbacks, the top receiver, obviously with Marvin Harrison those are going to be extremely valuable. You might almost be able to look at the top three or four picks next year, especially in some of these deep tight end premium two tight end leagues. Brock Bowers, the same thing. Like you could almost sit there and say, okay, Brock Bowers is going to be the equivalent of the next Kyle Pitts. Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be the next Jamar Chase. And then Caleb Williams and Drake May, we might have ourselves a Justin Fields and a Trevor Lawrence right there. Like that could be a fair equivalent of those four just like it was in 2021. And I think that's fair to say that's how you value those picks right now. But everything after that, I don't think I want to just blindly buy into the 2024 picks. Now, to Paul's question, he asks, is there any moves you're making for the 2024 picks? 
I think it's fair, Paul, to say, you know what, if I have one of these picks that's outside of the top seven or eight this year, and I do want to make a bet that, hey, I just end up with a higher slot than I have right now, next year, then sure, knowing that right now, if you have the 102 or the 103 in this year's draft, and you're trying to get there with the 109, it's almost like the 109 doesn't count much in the trade. Sure, the person will take it, but it's probably at least another first on top of it to move up that far. So it's at least 2x, if not 2.5 to 3x, to move from the back half of the draft to the front third of the draft. Let's call it top four. And I think that's going to be the same next year. It might even be enhanced next year. It might be three or four times that, just given how much power the top four or so picks have next year. So if you know that already... The move I want to make is either A, the leverage deals that I talked about last week. Can I sell something for a random first and still get a piece back that kind of helps my roster construction? That's the first and foremost. I'm always looking to make those deals. Um, I think you definitely, I've seen you make trades like that. I think you see the merit of why you want to collect those picks, and it has nothing to do with the players you can draft next year. It's all about okay, I can kind of not disrupt my roster construction that much and still pick up a free first. Essentially, that's what a leverage trade is if it's involving a 24 first. The other move is kind of what I talked about during that last pod, but I'll expand on it a little bit more here, is essentially knowing now that your pick this year that's sitting at the 109 or 110 is pretty much more defined than it was even two months ago, do I take the reroll? Knowing that there's a potential 3 or 4x ROI, on moving from the 108, 109, 110 this year to the 103 or 104 next year, that's almost worth doing straight up. In fact, I would say if you could make three of those deals, knowing only one of them is going to hit that range, it's worth it. Because best case scenario, you end up with a couple 103s or 104s next year, and you're going, wow, I really traded away the rights to Jordan Addison, and now I'm sitting potentially on drafting Marvin Harrison Jr.? Like, I think from a market standpoint, everyone would do that deal without hesitating. But what if you're wrong? What if you're wrong and you end up trading this year's 109 for next year's 110? All you really lost was time. And the old me would have said, you know what? That time is worth something. That time is worth a tax. You have to pay me a tax to make me wait that extra year. But not anymore. I think people start valuing picks early and earlier in leagues now than they used to. And so I don't think you really lose time. The only thing you might say you lose time on is the production that Jordan Addison is going to give me this year if I draft him versus drafting next year's Jordan Addison. And you're sitting here going, well, yeah, you lose the production. But in theory, what production do you really use if you're talking warp? When we know a rookie receiver that's probably in that range is not providing a lot of warp to begin with. So unless it's best ball and you literally just need a body to fill that spot, you're not really losing that much in terms of time. It's minimal. And I guarantee you it is not worth the potential cost that it would take to throw another ball into the hat and say, you know what, give me a reroll. You know, that reroll should have a cost. If you want to exchange something for something that could be a lot better, you got to pay a little bit to throw it back into the pot. And that's essentially what you're doing. But I'm saying that the marginal cost on that reroll isn't nearly as high as what you think. It really isn't that much, considering what you could win. What is the EV that you could get on this move? Uh, and I've already defined it. It's probably 3 or 4x what value you have with the pick right now. Really, the bigger factor in why you wouldn't do that trade right now is because you would assume you might be able to get that trade a little bit later. And maybe can you get an even better deal with that pick? But that's the answer to the question, Paul, is I'm not really looking to go and say, let me buy this specific player. 
I guess if you have late first this year and you can't re-roll and you don't want to pick, the old method is before I draft a running back in the rookie draft, what running back can I buy? That's especially true this year, given how many running backs there are. If you have a bunch of seconds and a bunch of thirds, like you're going to get exposure to some rookie running backs. There's no doubt. Same with receiver. Before I draft Zay Flowers, can I go out and buy Jamison Williams? You know, something like that. Can I go out and buy another receiver that I might just prefer more? Even if it's a guy, Brandon Ayuk, Jerry Judy, DJ Moore, whatever, whoever it might be, at least price check. If the person says, nope, 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 I'm not trading away anything that I've seen before for anything risky, then five. You're probably stuck making the pick. But that's the old school thought of, you know what, I'm going to draft a receiver. What receiver can I buy? And it's one for one. One for one evaluations are the easiest things to do in Dynasty. It's A versus B. What is A worth? What is B worth? Especially if it's at the same position. Because your roster construction impact isn't changing at all. So that's my answer, Paul. I'm sure there could be more expansion on that. Um, We do have the Zoom chat coming up. uh, For everyone over in the Dynasty and Chill Patreon, we have a Zoom chat coming up on Friday night. So if you do join uh, the Patreon, patreon.com slash Dynasty and Chill, we do have a Zoom chat. It literally goes for three, four, five hours. Uh, The next one is going to be March 31st, uh, Friday evening, 9.30 Eastern time. It's just a free-for-all. It's just a Zoom chat. If you like this type of stuff, that's all we're doing for three, four, five hours is just talking about that in a Zoom chat. 30, 40 of us on a Zoom chat just talking Dynasty. So if you're interested in that, we do those once a month. It's one of the perks of the channel. Uh, Check that out. The next one is coming up pretty soon. So if you sign up this week, uh, you can jump in on Friday night again, March 31st at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So before I get to the next questions, let's take a quick break and hear about Destination Devi's newest sponsor, Underdog Fantasy. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Destination Dynasty is now sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. I'm gearing up for Underdog's Fantasy season-long best ball contest. It's a great way to put your best ball skills to the test against me and everyone else at the Destination Debbie team. The best part? If you use promo code CHILL when you sign up, you'll get a 100% deposit match up to $100. And if you deposit $10, you'll get access to strategize with us in the Destination Debbie Discord where you can get additional stats, tips, and much, much more to dominate your drafts. What are you waiting for? Head over to underdogfantasy.com, sign up. Again, use promo code CHILL to get a 100% deposit match up to $100 and deposit your $10 to get access to the Destination Devi Discord. Back to the show. So next question comes from the Destination Devi Discord. Uh, This is Danny Gato asks in Superflex, giving up the 101 for which quarterbacks? And then how high do you project Trevor Lawrence will reach in dynasty rankings? So it's a good question by Danny. Uh, I think I've hit on this a lot of times without addressing it specifically as a direct question. Uh, I've talked about a tier of the top nine quarterbacks, and it's pretty much the names you would expect. Obviously, at the top, you have Mahomes, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts. I think a lot of people see that as kind of a top tier 
maybe you have Mahomes in his own tier. Maybe you have all three of those guys really close. I've seen some people have Jalen Hurts ahead of Josh Allen. However you want to put it, those are probably the top tier. Call it tier 1A. Then you have tier 1B. Uh, For me, it is Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, and Trevor Lawrence. Honestly, I look at those three guys and say they're pretty much all the same to me. I think all three of them are probably going to struggle to ever reach the Mahomes, Allen, Jalen, Hurts range. Maybe one of them does. I'm not sure who. I think all of them are capable of having a top four, top three season. Don't know if they're QB one overall, but at the same time, you know, maybe one of them could get there. Just depends. But I think they are safely in that top six with the potential for one or two of them to jump into the top three in a given year. Uh, But I think the biggest thing that drives the value of these guys is I think all three of them are really, really safe. All three of them are pretty much locks for top 10 production. I think going forward, uh, they have a lot of value insulation. And here's the other thing. Sure, I would give up 101 for those guys, but I'm also not really interested if I have Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, or Trevor Lawrence. Guess what I'm not interested in doing? Giving up draft capital to move up a tier. Like, it's great if you have Patrick Mahomes and I have Joe Burrow. I'm not giving you a first plus on top to move up. That's just not where I want to use my assets. I'd rather use them to try to get another quarterback in this tier or try to move around a different spot. But I don't really want to pay up from tier 1B uh, to tier 1A. I would obviously give up the 101 plus for all of these guys. Not even a question. Uh, And then it extends into another tier. So the tier of three more. So it's basically three tiers of three. 1A. 1B, and then 1C, tier 1C is Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields, and then obviously Deshaun Watson. And a lot of people will say, oh, you know what, Watson's a little controversial here. Uh, Lamar Jackson might be a little controversial here, given what's going on with him. But I essentially lump these three into one tier. They all have one question mark. Deshaun Watson's one question mark is, can he get back to being in tier 1A like he was three years ago? And he was. Deshaun Watson was in the Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes range. He was. Go back and look at the numbers, both fantasy numbers and real NFL numbers. He was right there behind Mahomes. Probably the second best quarterback in the league there for like a year or two. Can he get back there? It's a risk. The market is reflecting it. Otherwise, there's no reason that Deshaun Watson is not higher in this range. Of course, there are people that do have him in the Burrow, Herbert, Trevor Lawrence range. And I guess you can ding him a little bit to say, you know what, there is a little off the field risk with Deshaun Watson, right? There just is. And it's not even that Deshaun Watson is going to go and do anything more that could get him into more trouble, but there is market volatility with him. You know, he is he is one negative thing away from the market value being a lot more volatile on him. So I think it's fair him being in this range. And the question is simply, can he get back to what he was? Uh, the other two, Lamar Jackson and Justin Fields, I think there's different questions with those guys. I think those both have question marks in terms of, okay, are they sustainable? Do they have lasting power? But both of them have massive upside. And this is where people are comfortable pivoting from Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence to a guy like Lamar Jackson or Justin Fields. What's the tax? How much risk do you want to take on? I get it. But I think you could sit there and go, you know what? In any given season, Lamar Jackson and Justin Fields could finish higher than everybody else in fantasy. I mean, I said it last year and I still believe it. Lamar Jackson, if everything clicks right, has the highest ceiling in fantasy football. The highest fantasy ceiling possible belongs to Lamar Jackson. But then after last year, you see Justin Fields, Justin Fields can easily run for a thousand yards. So maybe he's in that range too. 
He's not quite as good as Lamar from a passer if you look at like an EPA per play standpoint historically. But if he got there, like him and Lamar Jackson literally could be the QB one overall and it wouldn't shock anybody. It's just how likely is it? So those are the nine. I would pay the 101 for all of those guys. Not even a question. Obviously, you're adding at least a first, if not two firsts to the 101 to get a guy like Mahomes. Maybe willing to add a first to to get Burrow, Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, potentially, just depending on how you feel on those guys. And then it's probably worth fishing on offers for Fields, Lamar Jackson, and Deshaun Watson. Throw the 101 out there. That's probably where your striking distance is, especially on Lamar, especially on Deshaun Watson. Those guys both have a little bit of stink to them. So again, what have I always said about the quarterbacks, these top nine quarterbacks? The advantage isn't what you can get them for. How cheap, how much of a value? Sure, if you can get a good deal on them, great. But that's not the edge. The edge is getting them to begin with. When they're available, you have to do the due diligence to at least see what they cost. So if you have the 101, be the aggressor. If you need a quarterback and you're not sitting on two of these guys already, be the aggressor with that 101. Hey, I see you have Lamar Jackson. What's my 101 going to get me? Can it get me Lamar Jackson? Hey, can it get me Justin Fields? Like, you're the one that has to be making those offers. I'm comfortable setting any 101 out there for any of the nine, but just understand that you may just get a, hey, they're not available. Hey, that's a fair offer, but they're just not available. So that's the question. What would you pay the 101 for? Which quarterbacks? Those nine? It's essentially three mini tiers. After that, I'm not giving up the 101 for Dak Prescott. I'm not giving up the 101 for Kyler Murray. And I'm not drafting C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson or Bryce Young with the 101 just yet. Now, when you're starting to get into 14-team Superflex, 14-16-team Superflex, 2QB, the league Ray and I talked about a month ago, the super, super boosted quarterback scoring. Okay, those are specific circumstances where you would say, okay, there's context to what this 101 is worth. Quarterbacks are worth 30% more in this league than they would be in your standard 12-team super flex league. So you have to adjust. So never say never. Obviously, there's nuance. There can be league settings, a bunch of different parameters where you'd say, okay, I'm going to take a quarterback instead of a running back. But generally, if you're just talking about pretty stock formats, it's those nine. It's not Kyler Murray. It's not Dak Prescott. It's not anybody else. And quite frankly, if I have the 101, I really am not in a rush unless I can get a premium package to move back or a spot or two. So can I get the 102 and the 107 for the 101? And quite frankly, that's probably the best offer I'm going to get. And the good thing is I'm still at the 102. So I've wanted to trade back another spot from there. I could and probably still get you know, my choice of the two remaining quarterbacks that doesn't go with the 102. But that's probably the best case scenario. So if you have the 101, I really want to try to use it to go up to get one of those top nine quarterbacks. I don't want to trade it down for a package because if I'm going to do that, I might as well just trade it down in the rookie draft and pick C.J. Stroud and pick Anthony Richardson. Because for me right now, honestly, probably C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, and Bryce Young are QB... 10 through 14 in Dynasty, you throw Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott in there, those five, I think, form their own tier. And you might say, that's crazy. Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson and C.J. Stroud have never done anything. It doesn't matter. You see where these quarterbacks are valued when they have a lot of buzz, when they're going to get really elite draft capital, and when they come into the NFL, this is where they're valued. Doesn't mean they're going to hit. It doesn't mean they're going to stay there. But we've seen it before. Trey Lance was a top 10 quarterback coming into the year he was drafted. He didn't play. He didn't lose value. So you're drafting into a pretty stable asset, barring they don't go out there and literally just look like Zach Wilson. In the case of Anthony Richardson, he probably doesn't even have to play much. 
as long as everything is generally positive for him, he's going to stay in this range. So that's the line for the 101. If I'm moving out of the 101, it's either for a premier package of assets, maybe including a top three pick and then another piece. Uh, But otherwise, I want to move up and I want to try to get one of those top nine quarterbacks if I don't already have two of them on my roster. So next question is from Brian Newman from the Destination Debbie Discord. Brian asks, talk about why auction is the best way to do a startup with how unfair having an early startup pick is compared to a later pick. And he didn't mention anything about third round reversal, didn't give a specification of how many teams, how many starters or anything like that. I talk about this uh, a lot in the optimal startup episode that I did about a month ago and talked about how important it is to have one of those higher startup picks. And if you have that, really, if you can get another one, that's the dominant strategy, at least for me, that's the way that I would prefer to build my dynasty team if I'm starting a brand new league. But to Brian's question, I think it just piggybacks on the quarterback discussion that we just had with the last question is the most valuable assets in dynasty are arguably those nine quarterbacks that I just mentioned. Now, some may pick a little bit of a bone with Deshaun Watson or with Lamar Jackson or Justin Fields, but the other six are pretty much across the board, the top six picks in a startup draft. And they're also the only assets, even Jefferson, Chase, Bijan, those assets are generally attainable. If you throw the right package of pieces, you can get those. Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, a lot of times they're just not attainable to the point where, sure, I may trade you one of those guys, but I'm going to price and force so much that I'm going to break your roster construction into many pieces before I give you one of those quarterbacks. To the point where there's been times where people have come to me and said, hey, what do you want for Jalen Hurts? And I go, well, the only thing I would accept for Jalen Hurts is a deal involving Joe Burrow plus, Justin Herbert plus, Trevor Lawrence plus. And that's it. And it was like, well, you know, I don't have one of those guys. I was looking to see if I could get a quarterback. And that's where it stops. So generally, that type of interaction in a league doesn't really go anywhere unless the person for some reason wants to trade one of those quarterbacks. When I have one of those guys, I'm willing to move them but it's within that top nine. Like I will go from Joe Burrow to Deshaun Watson. There's a deal where you could put on my plate and say, you know what, are you willing to accept this? And there probably would be a trade where I go, you know what, I'm comfortable with that. Like any variation where I'm moving around and still staying within those top nine quarterbacks, I can justify doing. It's obviously hard to trade a guy like Patrick Mahomes, but there's probably a deal where you could put in front of me and I go, you know what, I'm okay pivoting from Patrick Mahomes to Justin Herbert. And here's the value. But that's why the advantage in the top startup picks in the first half of the draft or even the top nine are so valuable. Now, the biggest thing to remember is when you're doing a snake, you have no control over A, where you get those picks. A lot of times it comes down to either just a random generator or a random generator where you pick your spots. And more often than not, you get people now, if it's a sharp group, if you fill from Destination Debbie or from Dynasty and Chill, you're going to get a lot of people in that Kentucky Derby, which is basically where you draft your draft slot. It's going to go one, two, maybe someone goes four, maybe someone goes six, but very rarely is someone to go, give me that 111. You know, those are going to be the last spots. The 110, the 111, those are going to go at the very, very end. And if you're stuck with one of those, now you're essentially at the mercy of your league. Now, there might be leagues where someone leaves you a quarterback at 110. Someone leaves you a quarterback at 111. The problem is, you're probably looking at that going, okay, I'm now building around Justin Fields versus somebody else is building around Patrick Mahomes. So your roster construction might be able to keep up, 
But that's why it's so dominant to try to go get another one. That's why it's almost like, man, if I'm stuck on the turn at the 112-201, the biggest advantage I probably have is building completely differently and really zigging when everyone else is zagging. Because there's probably going to be three or four teams in that league, especially if they listen to this show, where, okay, they're all trying to get two elite quarterbacks. And then the worst case scenario is three or four teams actually pull it off and you're not one of them. And you're sitting at the 111 or the 112. And you're going, wow, three or four teams now have two elite quarterbacks each. It's actually dumb for me to try to chase that same strategy. It's dumb for me to go, man, I need a quarterback. Let me double tap Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray at 112-201. What am I doing there? Really not accomplishing anything. If anything, I'm just chasing somebody else's tail. And I'm going to lag behind. I'm already way behind the team that has Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. Like I'm way behind both of them. Both of those slots. Now, sure, they gave up extra startup capital, but how many times did I talk about in the prior show? If you're going to do that and give up the startup capital, do it in March. There's a lot of variance and there's a lot of instability in terms of what you're picking in those rounds. So give me the quarterback advantage. And I think that answers Brian's question. That's why it's such an advantage. Now, the other thing with auction, and I'll give a shout out to our USFFL auctions that we've been doing, is auctions, A, and Ray said this on the show where him and I went back and forth and talked about different strategies and why he prefers auction instead of snake. He's right. You can build your team the way that you want. The other thing about auction is if you do it right, anybody considering starting an auction league, the biggest thing to me that will keep me from joining an auction league, even though I love auction drafts, the biggest thing that will keep me from joining it is if there's too many artificial constraints. Meaning, give me some freedom to build my team in the auction. You're already electing a format in an auction draft that allows me to build my team how I want because it's an auction. There is no assigned draft picks. There is no ADP. It's all about timing and it's all about how much I'm willing to pay for certain tiers of players. But then don't create a lot of artificial constraints. For instance, if you're starting an auction league, pick a minimum number of players that you want people to have to leave the auction with but then keep it there and don't make it too high. Don't make it 20. Don't make it 24. If you're doing 12 teams super flex with 11 starters and 30 man rosters, like we talked about on the best ball roster construction series, shout out to the 4D guys, uh, Mike and Adam, who uh, tagged along with me on that. But we picked 12 teams, start 11, 30 man rosters. If you're going to do your startup in that format in an auction, don't make it where you have to leave with 24 players. Make it like 14, make it like 12. Give people the choice. If they want to spend all their money on 12 players, fine. Let them fill in the gaps on waivers. And at the same time, if you're doing a startup auction right now, expand the rosters. If you plan on expanding to 35, 36, uh, the way Eric and I do it is we expand by the number of rookie draft rounds. So if the rookie draft is five rounds, guess what? The offseason rosters are 35. So even if you're putting the rookies in the auction now, allow people to buy as many players as they want. If you have one team that wants to buy 15 players and one team that wants to buy 41 players, go for it. They're all starting with the same budget and just let them build as they want. After that, the market will correct itself. And that's why I like auctions. When it's done the right way, it truly gives you more flexibility. When I say flexibility, I don't just want flexibility of me being able to go buy who I want. I want the flexibility to to add 37 players in the auction. In USFFL, you can add 37 players via the auction. Someone else, they can leave the auction with, I believe, as few as like 25, 26. 
And because part of the USFFL, it's an auction for 10 rounds, and then there's a snake draft to complete the rest. But you can trade your snake picks. You have to win a minimum of six in the auction, and then you can trade your snake picks. So someone in theory could go, yeah, I only won 20 players in the startup. Someone else could win 37. Let them. Let them do it. As long as there's cut downs, as long as there's roster parameters for the season, who cares? The market will adjust itself. When there's one team that only has 19 players and there's one team that has 37, they will adjust. They will both understand, hey, that guy's over the roster limit. He's going to have to cut five and he has to make four draft picks like he's in trouble. And then on the other hand, hey, this guy only has 19 players. He's either getting everybody off waivers or he might have to make a couple trades where he trades a two for one. But let people do that. That's why auction is so good. Yes, the auction startup to be able to pick your players and not be subject to the randomizer with the snake, that's good. But the other thing that auction does, it really allows you to expand how people can build. The less constraint, the better. I won't even get into this right now, but one of the other things that make auction really, really fun is when you have these loose constraints and then you also let people trade their auction dollars. Because now you have a completely free market. And you say, okay, here's the time constraints. We're going to do this auction for 10 days. And we're just going to put up a bunch of players, but you can trade your auction money. And anybody that's done an auction where you can trade your auction money, day one, the auction money might be worth X. X dollars is worth this. Two days later, when there's been 70 players off the board, what those dollars were worth on day one could be totally different on day four. That player that went for $92 on day one, You might sit there and go, wow, I would sell that player for $75 given what the current market is. Given what's on the board now, wow, there's a player going on the board for less than $70. And I like them just as much as that player that I paid $92. So a lot of times the auction prices really aren't stagnant. And that's even better. So if you're going to do an auction, consider all of these things. Consider making the rosters really, really wide in terms of what the requirements are. Nothing's worse than it's a 12-team super flex 11 starters, 30-man rosters, everybody must have 30 players when we leave the auction. Why? Why? As long as you're subject to a cut down, keep it flexible. And if you want to trade the dollars, it's the wild, wild west. But understand, that's why it's more fun. Because there's a lot more flexibility. It's not just the flexibility where you're subject to a board and you're subject with having to trade these finite defined picks that are already there especially when we have so many ADP resources, people are just a lot less likely to think and be creative in those formats. So hopefully that answers your question, Brian. That's why I prefer auction. It's not just for the flexibility of getting whatever players I want. It's for all the other potential things that can make an auction startup so much more fun. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and call this week's show. I appreciate everybody that submitted questions, uh, any questions that I didn't get to. um, I definitely plan on releasing the answers. Maybe I'll do a special Q&A session uh, over on the Dynasty and Chill Patreon and talk about a couple of those extra questions that I didn't get to for this show. On hint, hint, might bring in a couple guests to talk about those questions because I think there were some good ones that we left off. Shout out to anybody that submitted a question. I apologize, I could only get to four. We will do another Q&A episode like this a couple more times. I like doing these where it's just, hey, what's on your mind? Let's talk about it. And hopefully what these questions can do is allow people to take some of the discussion back to their leagues if they're doing a new startup, if they're in a bunch of leagues, uh, and go try it. Go help them think about new things. Like I didn't cover everything in these four questions, but I think there's enough there to say, hey, I can take this in a different direction. And it made me think about this and it made me think about that. That is what I do. That is why I consume 30, 40 hours of dynasty fantasy 
NFL content daily. I listen on 3X. I have a very mundane job that allows me to just literally listen to content all day. So I think I have a very good pulse on what everyone else is talking about. So if you can take this stuff and generate new ideas, then boom, you can be ahead of the game. That's really all I do. I would say that is my biggest advantage in this space is being up on kind of the feel for what everybody else is talking about, what everybody else is doing, and then playing in all the leagues. It helps when you play in 50 leagues because you can go out and try it. You can go out and see it happening in real time, and then you just report back. And if you like making content, if you like talking, if you like doing podcasts, boom, here I am. So appreciate everybody that participated this week. I'll get to the other questions on the Patreon. Again, patreon.com slash dynasty and chill. I'll check out everything at Destination Devi, patreon.com slash allgas, the newsletter, allgas.beehive.com backslash subscribe. Uh, And then stay tuned for that pipeline show that we will drop uh, on Monday night talking about the new USFFL League, uh, the pipeline declarations. Uh, Ray and I will break that down and just do a little discussion. It's the first time for us, and it's the first time for everybody over in the Heisman tier participating in this. No one's done it before. So it's a brand new thing. Looking forward to breaking that down. Looking forward to more discussion on that going forward. Again, appreciate everybody. Appreciate everybody at Destination Devi for the platform. Check out all the shows on the Destination Devi radio feed. And with that, I will go ahead and sign off. Be chill. Ain't like, only ones I keep around me is my family.